habits, small disciplines, big results. Uh, the first the first Sunday when Tim played that video, um, I was kind of running around. I wasn't really watching, and I glanced up and I'm like, "What? What are we? What does Domino's have to do with anything? Like, what are we doing right now?" And then I finally saw the whole video. I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, small habits, small disciplines, making big results. It's it's good." Um, so, as you know, we've been talking about habits, uh, and each each January we kind of like to go over our values that we have in the church uh, that we talk about on the welcome video, and the theme that we decided to go with this year was habits, and uh, it, I think it's cool to see how habits affect our values, and if you have these values and how, how you can change little things to make big results. Uh, so when we were, t- we were talking about this week, um, obviously Pastor, Pastor Tim spoke on uh, habits of the Word, and then last week the Holy Spirit. This week we wanted to talk about generosity, and we thought it would be a good idea since I'm the executive pastor and I handle all the finances, maybe I would talk about generosity through giving. And my wife, Lacey, sitting over here, is the serve team coordinator, and she is going to talk about generosity through serving of yourself, your giftings, stuff like that. So we're going to tag team today a little bit. She's going to join up here in a few minutes. But first, I would like to talk about building habits of generosity. Um, now, I believe these are habits that are born out of obedience to the Holy Spirit. And Tim talked about the Holy Spirit last week and talked about how important it is for us to hear him and let him take a big role in our life. And uh, once we hear him, we also have to obey. And I think that these being generous has a lot to do with, um, with obeying the Holy Spirit. Um, and first, when we talk about generosity, I always think that our church is just a generous group of people. Like, I love you guys. Um, Especially when I've seen what you guys do, you humble me over and over again when you when you help people that are hurting, struggling. It's amazing. Um, and we don't talk about giving money a lot uh, from the pulpit, and largely because our church is so generous. But I think it's good every once in a while to remind us about why we give, and that's the promises and the blessings that God promises. Um, and hopefully I can communicate some of that to you today. So let me start by saying I want you to hear my heart on this, Okay. Um, I'm not ask, up here asking for money. Obviously, our church needs funds to, to survive, but I'm not asking for your money. I feel like we as pastors would be remiss if we didn't remind you and share with you the blessings that you can have on your life when you give, when you're, when you're being generous God's way. Um, and it can change your life. It really can. So this, the, the principle is if it's everything is God's, everything you own, all your money, everything is his, uh, then it's not such a mental leap to give back to his house. And uh, I understand that I want you to understand that when I say these things, it's because I want to see blessing in your life. Um, you guys are generous already, um, but we all, we all need a reminder. And uh, it's never a bad idea to reevaluate your habits and the motivations behind them. So let's jump into this. Um, the Bible shows a ton of places, a ton of places, and verses in the Bible show benefits of generosity. Um, I, I mainly want to talk about the role that tithing plays in our generosity today. And God, when I think of tithing, I think of God wants our first. And that's kind of one of the reasons why we fast in the first part of the year. We give him our first, the first part of the year we want to give to him. And it's the same with our finances. He wants our first and he wants the tithe. Um, and according to the Bible, it belongs to him anyway, as we know. So this is a biblical principle that I want you guys to understand. That it's his, it's all his, but he gives us stewardship over it. He gives us control over it, and he reserves the tithe for his house. Now, when I was a kid, I know that's hard to imagine me as a kid. 
Let me stand up. <laughs> when I was this big, uh, we had kids' church, and uh, Uncle Shelby and Aunt Connie were our children's pastors, and they were awesome. Uh, and they would t- tell us about tithing each week, and they would tell us two main things. Two things, uh, tithe is the first 10% of your increase, and tithe goes to the house, to the church. And if you learn these things and you could say them, then you got candy. <laughs> so I learned them very well. <laughs> and I got a lot of candy. But I'm glad I learned it. I really am. These, these principles are, are good. Um, the main, one of the main things I learned from them was the motivation, God's motivation behind the tithe. And Deuteronomy 14.23 says, this is the Living Bible translation. I love this this translation. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. To teach you always to put God first in your lives. He knows it's a sacrifice. He knows it can be difficult. But he knows that when you give and you enter into covenant with him, that now he's responsible for you. He's your provider. My dad used to sing us a song uh, called Jehovah Jireh, God Provider. And I used to love that song. <laughs> it's really old now. Probably most of you never heard it. But um, that's another part of this that got, really got into me as a kid, which I'm glad it did. Um, but Jehovah Driver, he's our provider. His grace is sufficient for our needs. It's amazing. So here's one thing I want you to think about. When we tithe, I don't think it's necessarily the, the, the money. When you give 10%, it's not that that gives you the blessing. It's your faith to give that first 10% that actually blesses the rest of the 90%. And I, I truly believe, and you can, you can test this, I truly believe that 90% with God's blessing is gonna do more for you than 100% without it. I really do. Now, I wanna paint a picture of this, and I use this in uh, Next Steps when I talk about giving. Um, so if you've been to Next Steps, you may have heard a little portion of this. But um, I, I like to read lots of historical fiction, mythical fiction, and call me a nerd if you want, it's fine. I like these books, they're fun. Um, but in these, there's a certain author I like, and he talks about this principle a lot, uh, the principle of a high king, and a high king over other low kings or nobles or lords or whatever it may be. Um, and the, the thing I get from it is when, a, when a, a lower king comes under a high king, and it may, he may even have been at war and battle with the high king, but once he comes underneath him, they actually do a, a ceremony where the lower king will come and kneel at the high king's feet and stretch out his neck, and the high king will actually put his foot on the low king's neck to symbolize that he is coming into submission under him. Um, I think that's a cool picture. But the thing that I want you to think about is once that lower king comes under the high king, and we can picture it as God's our high king, we're the, the lord or the noble, whatever you want to call yourself, low king, whatever, coming under God as our high king, when we do that, when we submit to him, he is now in control, but he's also responsible for us. So in that, in that relationship, when a high king comes, comes over a lower king, if that low king, is, his lands are attacked, all of a sudden, the high king is now responsible to send men to, to protect. If, if, the, if the lower king's crops don't come in well and they're, they're short, the high king is responsible to fill in the gap. So this is what I want you to think about. It's kind of a messy illustration because it's dealing with, with humans, men. But think about if, if God is our king of kings, the high king, and he's perfect in every way, how much more when he makes a promise, we know it's going to be fulfilled. Yeah. 
He means it. And so tithe comes with promises. I don't want you to think that it's just give and nothing. Tithe comes with promises. Malachi 3, 10 through 12. I'm going to read this real quick. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I know this is the cliche verse people use for tithe all the time. Like, you've probably heard this before. It's kind of the, tithe, the, 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 the verse that everyone uses. But I, it's great. Like, I can't, I can't deny that this is, this is great. So just look at the promises that he shows you in this. If you're tithing, he opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. You can't even contain it. It's amazing. Number two, he rebukes the devourer. It says in the New King James, he rebukes the devourer so that your, your, your crops, obviously we don't have crops. Some of us do maybe, but I don't, I don't have crops. But your increase is protected from the enemy. Protected. And then three, everyone will call you blessed. And I know that in my own life, I want people to call me blessed. If they look at me and they see what God's doing in my life, I want to be called blessed. Definitely. Now, I know a lot of people say that tithing is an old idea. It's an old covenant, Old Testament type thing. Um, that it's under the law. But I, I, I disagree with that. And I want to show you why here. Um, in Hebrews 7, 1 through 2. It says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the God Most High. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So it talks about it in Hebrews, but this actually happened in Genesis when, when Abraham had defeated some, some kings in the area when they had basically kidnapped his, his cousin Lot. Um, nephew? Cousin? I don't know, I forget. His family member, Lot. They had kidnapped him, and so he went to war with them and got him back, got all the, the captors back. Um, and he meets this high priest. He was actually called, he was the king of Salem, which eventually became Jerusalem, which is interesting. But king of Salem, Melchizedek, and he was also a high priest. And his name means king of righteousness, and king of Salem means king of peace, king of righteousness and peace. Who does that remind you of? Um, Abraham got the increase, gave the tithe to the high priest. And I'll talk a little bit more about Melchizedek here in a second. He's a very interesting figure here. But this happened hundreds of years before the law was ever even given, which is interesting to me. Um, and then later, Solomon wrote um, hundreds of years after the law was given in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, with the first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So this is after the law was given. They're still sticking to it. They know it. In the, in the New Testament, tithe is actually mentioned quite a bit. Uh, a lot of people think it's not, but they talk about it a lot in Hebrews 7, and then Jesus talks about it in Matthew 23. Um, so it's interesting. When they talk about these things, they talk about it like it's just a normal occurrence. Like, this is what we do. Uh, I want to point that out. But what I want you to realize about this principle is that it's outside the law. It's outside rules, and it transcends those things just like his other promises do. If these are promises of God, and God doesn't change, and they're fulfilled through Jesus, we got to, I mean, that's, we got to go with it. Um, we know we're not under the law. 
And this is where, in Hebrews 7, uh, in the New Testament, it talks about Abraham and Melchizedek and their relationship. Um, I see it as Melchizedek, is, he, he's kind of a foreshadowing of a priest-king that Jesus would become. And I, I'm not a theologian, and it's hard to, like, i just tell you. It says in there that he has no genealogy, he has no mother and father, Melchizedek, which is really interesting to me. Um, if, if you ever want to just read up on him, it's, he's an interesting guy. Um, but for him to be great enough to where Abraham would give a tenth to him was really cool to me. Um, so Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And then in Jeremiah 31, it talks about how God would make a new covenant with us and put his principles in our minds and write them on our hearts. So these are principles that transcend law. Under the new covenant, new covenant, we have those principles written on our hearts. It's really cool. Jesus is the high priest of the new covenant. That's what he's called. So under the new covenant, tithing may not be required like it was under the law. But are we ready for what is required? Tim talks about it a lot. Pastor Tim says uh, Jesus doesn't talk about tithing when he talks to his followers about giving because he talks about giving everything. So it's all his. And I think that's interesting. So it may not be required, but it still unlocks a blessing through choosing to do it through our own free will. Um, I don't think we'll be punished if we don't tithe. Um, I just think we don't have access to the same blessings. We don't have access to that protection and that blessing that he provides. And those blessings and God's protection still exist because his promises still stand. Like I said, he doesn't change. And as a pastor in the church, I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard about people who tithe, start to tithe or whatever it may be, and they, they are just, God blesses their socks off. I, can't, I, I don't know how to say it any other way. He blesses them so much, and it's just amazing. And I've seen it in my own life. I could tell you stories. If you want to ask me, I'll, I'll tell you tons of stories. But I say all this to make you aware of the importance of making generosity through tithing a habit in your life. And I want you to hear this. Hear me when I say I don't want you to feel condemned by this. this. That is not the purpose of this. I want you to be blessed. Blessed beyond measure. I was in a service one time when I was younger. I was in college, and I had a part-time job. And I wasn't tithing. And we had a guest speaker come. And this guest speaker talked about tithing, which is a kind of a brave thing to do as a guest speaker, to be honest. Um, but what I remember is in this service was the lack of condemnation that I felt. And it was great. She didn't say anything that made me feel bad. And I know what happens is the devil tries to come against you with shame and guilt. And he makes you, he says, well, you don't give, you've never given before, you know. And it's, it's such a, a tool of the, of, of the enemy to do that, to steal away a victory that you could have. And so I remember this speaker challenged us to change our thinking about, about generosity. And, and she did it without condemnation. And I chose to change the way I thought. And I wanted to do it God's way. And uh, I can't deny the blessings that he's given me in my life. I, I really can't. So seriously, don't you dare feel condemned today. Seriously. Um, I want what's best for you. I want the Holy Spirit to lead you. So ask him what he would have you do. And as we learn to obey the, the Holy Spirit, I think tithing and giving become more habitual with each time you do it. Um, and this is one habit that is going to bring big results. I promise. Small discipline that brings big results. So I encourage you to make a habit out of giving tithe to God. And learn to be generous. Hello. <laughs> learn to be generous God's way. God's way. And you'll see breakthrough. I challenge you to do that today. Give it and test it. Just like the verse says, test me in this and see if I won't 
bless your socks off. That's my paraphrase. <laughs> so uh, later on, we're going to have uh, opportunity for prayer. But right now, Lacey is going to share with you. Hello. Thank you, babe. Okay, I'm just going to jump in here. I have a lot to cover in a few minutes. Um, all right, so as he said, I'm the serve team coordinator, so I'm able to work alongside with so many of you that give of yourselves so generously, all of your time, you know, the time that you give and pour out the worship team and the kids, um, coffee, everything that goes on here that makes the services because of y'all's generosity. So I just want to say I'm super, super thankful for that. I want to dig into a principle that we find throughout Scripture, um, and I believe that is that the world of the generous gets larger and larger. So giving is not something that just shows up all of a sudden. It's a lifestyle that we cultivate, and we cultivate this by developing small habits, which is what we're talking about. So I want to kind of dig into that a little bit. So you may be thinking throughout this and with Brady sharing, like, I am generous, I do give. Um, I know so many of you give of your... Um, give of yourselves and your time and you step in when we have a shoe donation the table's filled with shoes and like every single one of you are so generous so we do recognize that um, but you may be thinking like oh if only I had more time I'd give more or if only I had more energy or if I had the ability if I had the 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 job that I really need I would be able to tie that 10% or whatever it is so I just want you with those thoughts to remember this that the world of the generous gets larger and larger so Proverbs 11:24 tells us that one person gives freely yet gains even more another withholds unduly but comes to poverty so we see it in scripture there laid out right for us you give more you gain even more you withhold what happens? Okay, so we're going to dig in. Uh, generosity is super attractive. It's something that we all love to hear stories about, to watch documentaries of, to, it's just something that we're attracted to. You know, we want to see what these people have been able to accomplish with their generosity. Um, I believe that is partly because we're made in God's image, and the word says that God loves a cheerful giver. So it makes sense that when we would see somebody with that overflowing generosity, that we would just be so attracted to it and love it. Um, so I want you to think about when what you personally have in your own life right now that you can cultivate for this lifestyle of generosity. How can you take what is there and continue to grow it? The seed for generosity is already there inside of you. So I'm going to show you that as we get into some scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says, Each person is giving something, given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. So this isn't something you wait to come in another season, another time, or through some outside resource. You and I, right now, have the seed inside of us for big generosity. So two stories stood out to me in Scripture as I was planning and preparing for this. And what's ironic is that after I went back and read the stories, I was like, wait, these people don't seem like overly excited to give. <laughs> They're not particularly generously wanting to give. Um, but what they do give out of the seed that they do end up handing over to the Lord, he produces massive, massive results. And I believe he can do that in our own life. So the first story is in Elijah. We're going to read it together. Um, I'm sorry, it's in 1 Kings, but it's about Elijah. So it's during the reign of King Ahab, and Elijah is basically just prophesied we're going to have a drought. And in the midst of that drought, the Lord is giving him step-by-step -step instruction of where to go and what to do so that he can have provision. So we're going to read together 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, 
Would you please bring me a little water and a cup? And she was going to get it. He called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in this house. And I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and my son and I will die. Okay, wait, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Time out. Like God just told Elijah, okay, he's giving him step-by-step provision of where to go, where to find provision, and he sends him to this lady with literally nothing. Not, not just a little, not just this is my last paycheck or I had a rough week, but like I'm cooking up my last meal and my son and I are going to die of starvation. So I'm not sure what's going on here. <laughs> um, now, if you back up a little in the story, a few verses back, we find that Elijah's giving the Lord instructions, and he says, Go to the east side by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, so first that makes me a little bit like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute, you've just been fed by birds, <laughs> and then you're going to go to this widow who is about to cook up her last meal and die of starvation. Like, what is happening? But we know the word, and we know that it's there for a reason. And so what we see is that Elijah knows in this moment the very word and promise of the Lord. He has seen the Lord's provision. He's experienced it in his own life. He's known his goodness by the brook, and that he is provision. And so he says to her, hey, grab me a bite out of what he knows to be the goodness and generosity of God. So the next verse, verse 13, we pick back up. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make me a little bread first. Then with what's left, prepare a meal for yourself and your son. And this is what the Lord, the God of, your Israel, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in the containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did just as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So she gave out of what she already had, not something extra, not some other endless tap of resources or something like that. She gave of what she had remaining. So the next story we find is in Luke of the disciples, and I'm going to kind of read it. Hopefully I'm not reading too quickly and you guys are following with me. <laughs> I just want to get through this. Um, when the, uh, this is Luke 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took with them, then he took them with him, and they drew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So that's giving you backstory of what's happening. So he's bringing them along, basically. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. So basically, they're going to Jesus like, Hello, we're about to have a lot of hungry people on our hands. Like, can we please do something? What's going on? And he replies, You give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. 
The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So once again, we, feel, we see where the disciples in this scenario didn't feel that they had anything to offer. They're saying, like, Jesus, we need to just send these people back in. they got to go get their meal. You, you know, and he's like, nope, you feed them. So the funniest part to me is that if you look back a few verses, there's very clear instruction, like several verses before that when they're preparing for their journey. And he says to them in Luke 9, 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. So what this tells me is that there's going to be times in our life that we come across that we don't feel like we have the resources. We don't see the resource, but he knows where the resource will come from and where it will be provided from. So they, again, in this situation, experienced through this giving, they experienced the abundant goodness of God and the endless supply that he holds. We all, inside of us, as I started in the beginning, have that. We have the tiniest seed the smallest gift, and the least that we can give others. He comes into each story and partners with them to bring the most, the very best, and then always leaves some to spare. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. This is something that can be cultivated in our lives as we develop habits of serving. Um, So I'd like to invite the worship team up at this time. And... um, I just want to ask you about the seed. What is it that you are holding? What is it in your own life that can be used when you generously give it? And what is the increase that you're looking for? And will you hand that over to the Lord? Because the seed is already there. We're going to read. You can... Yeah, good, okay. Just want to make sure you're good. Um, We're going to read another scripture here, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15. And I want you guys to really hear this for yourself. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform, whatever it is that you're giving, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So you're not only doing it for other people and serving them, it's overflowing out of your heart as thanksgiving to him and of his goodness. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So as we close today, I want you to remember how good and generous our God is, that he has good things to give you, and much of it will come out of an increase as you willingly give to him.